0: From WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my daily politics podcast. It's Friday, December 1st. We'll continue on this show as best we can to discuss the Israel Hamas war and the larger Israeli Palestinian and Israeli Arab conflicts with multiple points of view. As I've said before, we are trying our best to do this in good faith. I'm sure we fall short, but we do try. Keep commenting and critiquing listeners as you see fit. Today and Monday, we will get two different views of the Israel Palestine issue from two different corners of the American left, which have been in conflict with each other to some degree uh, over these issues. On Monday, we will have the New York Democratic Party political consultant and writer for The Nation magazine, Alexis Grinnell, who wrote in The Nation, among other things, that where the rubber of anti Zionism meets the road of anti Semitism, is the belief that Israel or a Jewish state should not exist. Alexis Grinnell coming up on Monday. Right now, we'll get the views of Jeremy Cohen, co-chair of the Steering Committee of the Democratic Socialists of America, New York City chapter. An article last month in Politico was headlined, DSA is facing an internal reckoning on Israel. We'll spend the first part of this segment on the DSA in the Middle East, then the second part on other DSA issues in New York and in America. Same on Monday. We'll also talk with Alexis Grinnell about other New York politics, as well as the Middle East then. Again, Jeremy Cohen is co-chair of the Steering Committee of the Democratic Socialists of America, New York City Chapter. Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC today.
1: Thanks so much, Brian. Um, If I can say, Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I really, uh, (laughs) thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you very much. So the DSA got a lot of publicity, some of it inaccurate, around its involvement in the pro-Palestinian rally in Times Square on Sunday, October 8th. For background for our listeners, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, perhaps the nation's most well-known DSA member, released a statement afterwards that said, The bigotry and callousness expressed in Times Square on Sunday were unacceptable and harmful in this devastating moment. It should not be hard to shut down hatred and anti-Semitism where we see it. That is a core tenet of solidarity, unquote from AOC. Now, the DSA did promote that rally. So clarify for our listeners, what was the DSA's role in promoting it and what was said or shown there that did or did not reflect DSA beliefs and values uh, with this almost two months of hindsight?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, Brian. Um, So I think, you know, that day, October the 7th, um, a terrible day, a lot was coming out in dribs and drabs. There was a lot that people didn't know. Things happened very fast. One thing that was very clear, I think, to a number of us was that a war was coming, a terrible, terrible war, and it was important to say no to war. Um, that's why the rally was retweeted. We we were like, get on the streets. Now, we had no role in planning the rally, we had no role in the speakers at the rally, that it was a get on the streets call. We reflected and put out a statement a couple of days later on basically, look, the. Um, We did not, like, as things came out and it became clear the horrifying nature of the civilian attacks and the Israeli civilian deaths, we did not lead with our values. We are an organization that is principled on condemning the killing of civilians by Hamas and by the Israeli government. Um, And we clarified that and we apologized for not making that clear in our values. The other thing I'll say, and and so that I think is the basic um, uh, context for that moment, I'll say that... There is a part of me that feels like if we're still talking about that moment people haven't really been paying attention to what NYC DSA has been doing since which you know we've um activated over 10,000 people have taken action with us in a huge and growing coalition to demand a ceasefire with principled opposition to killing of civilian lives um all civilian lives and all war crimes and to demand the end of what's you know unfolding as a genocide in Gaza so I think, you know, our our efforts and our message, our ceasefire and peace message and our principled message on opposition to killing all civilians and war crimes is like the the message we and Democratic Socialist legislators have been leading on.
0: I understand. Critics will say, however, that even the basic premise that the most appropriate response to the attack on Israelis on October 7th was to promote a pro-Palestinian rally the very next day, rather than centering the atrocities by Hamas, at least for the first 24 hours, that that as a first response devalues Jewish life to a shocking degree, and the impulse to run right there should therefore be seen as anti-Semitic. How would you respond to that criticism?
1: I think we did need moments to mourn. many of us, I mean, I'm a Jew myself, um, and my Jewish identity and tradition means a lot of me, a lot to me. My family, um, a whole branch of my family practically was murdered in the Nazi Holocaust. So the killing of Jews um, means quite a lot to me, and that mourning is very important. I will also say, being like being clear about what are morally acceptable and unacceptable responses to massacres tragedies war crimes is really important and in moments of tragedy we've often seen moments of tragedy be very quickly mobilized to cruel and horrific um war responses i think of 9 11 in this country and how a terrible attack against civilians was then mobilized immediately to manufacture consent for a terrible war and so i think like it's important that we can be both um, deeply in mourning and deeply empathetic and still in mourning for our family in um, in Israel and in Gaza. Um, and we can retain a principled political position of it's unacceptable to answer war crimes with war crimes. It's unacceptable to countenance a genocide and ethnic cleansing. And the only way to produce a situation that we don't have to see anything horrific like this occur again is to get at root causes, to get at the um, uh, inequality and the injustice that underlies a situation that produces regular and horrific bloodshedding like what happens regularly in Israel and Palestine.
0: Does the DSA stand for a two-state solution or a one-state solution?
1: Good question. I mean, DSA has no official position on this like the BDS movement that we're a part of. Um, I think, to some degree, it's up to the people of the region um, how they're going to resolve this long-standing conflict and and the occupation um, and and an apartheid government. Like our position is that we need a, that the only way to peace, the only path to peace, is through justice, and that there needs to be full economic, civil, and political rights for everyone in the region. You can't have a situation where two million. Gazans are disenfranchised, are not allowed to vote on the most basic aspects of their uh, condition and their future, like, you know, what affects their ability to enter in and out of Gaza, what affects how food comes in, what affects their economy. So disenfranchisement, um, occupation, apartheid, unacceptable. What the ultimate solution will be? I mean, heck, if I know, like, I <laughs> I don't live there. So and- you're
0: saying the DSA takes no position on whether it's a one-state solution with democratic rights for everybody, a secular state, or if, uh, or if preferable is a two-state solution, an Israeli state and a Palestinian state. Because I've heard that the DSA has a litmus test uh, for politicians. Perhaps you clarify this, because this is what I've heard. That you verify. I'm telling you what I've heard. Um, a litmus test that says you have to be for the one secular state solution to be fully embraced as a DSA member. True or false?
1: False. Um, it's not formally in our positions anywhere. Um, I think some of our members feel very strongly about that and that's like an ongoing debate. I think most members are on the side of, unfortunately given the like massively, um, the horrific tragedy and the the new bombing of drops, um, the new dropping of bombs today, uh, that unfortunately any solution seems quite far and distant in the future, seems quite impractical. And it's up to us not to be laying down conditions for the final, like the conditions that need to be laid down are that everything must include the full rights for everyone in the region economic, political and civil. What that final settlement looks like is up to them. I'll say just really last, Brian, um, really quick. I think, you know, that maybe the confusion sometimes comes because we are DSA is a supporter of the BDS movement, a nonviolent attempt to pressure the Israeli state to boycott,
0: uh, divest and sanction.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, that is very important to our members. That is very important. Um, And the general standing of legislators with Gazans and with um, Palestinians and for the democratic, civil, and political and economic rights of Palestinians is very, very important to our members. That is definitely a litmus test in our organization.
0: Um, You do call and AOC and Jamal Bowman call for a ceasefire. Many people take that to mean simply Israel should stop its war effort because of the civilian death toll that it's inflicting, but that you make no equivalent, uh, but critics say you make no equivalent demands on Hamas. How would you characterize your calls for a ceasefire and what it demands of Hamas, if anything?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen a little bit in that direction in the last few days. Um, Tragically, it has been undermined and the Israeli government is starting bombing again. Um, But we've seen negotiations, we've seen basically that it's true that a ceasefire has to happen by all parties has to be agreed on. Um, That said, I think the indication from the last few days of diplomacy and actual efforts to get there is that the Israeli government's bombing campaign is the reason there hasn't been a ceasefire these last um, months. So I think that's kind of where we are. um, And I think it's horrific that it's starting again, it should absolutely be unacceptable. And again, in that kind of power analysis, that political analysis, the U.S. government, you know, is enabling like the the far right MAGA contingent. And unfortunately, Joe Biden are enabling Israel to, you know, start bombing again. And that is why it takes the lion's share of our criticism. That said, again, the path out of ever being in a horrifying situation like this again is real diplomacy is putting down of arms, is coming up with a democratic, serious political solution to the issues. And, you know, that is a path that, unfortunately, the left wing of the region has been throttled. Um, And again, I think the most powerful player in doing that has been the Israeli government. But that is the path that, like, is our only hope, really, as human beings, is like a serious democratic socialist, I'll say, (laughs) Um, solution to the conflict there and to creating the real conditions of justice that produce long lasting peace.
0: Well, some would say the Israeli left has been throttled because of the violent rejectionism of some Palestinians, especially and including Hamas, that every time Israel tries to make peace in some way. This is not to excuse the settler movement or or anything like that. Um, But when the negotiations of the 90s broke down without a a final status accord, um, the response was the violent second intifada, which drained a lot of the Israeli left and helped lead to Netanyahu being elected Uh, as much as he has and that uh, after Israel left Gaza it wouldn't have continued the siege as horrible as the siege and blockade have been for Gazans if Hamas hadn't used its power in Gaza after being elected there um, to continually launch rockets into Israel so do you blame uh, those corners of Palestinian uh leadership uh and and individuals for the what you call the throttling of the israeli left as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a super interesting analysis and I think there's like parts of it I do agree with. Um I still think like, you know, so it is true Netanyahu recognized um and we have, you know, reported statements from him recognizing that it is to some degree to the political advantage of his party that Hamas exists and is in power because it divides the Palestinian movement it um very clearly makes for this kind of ongoing military engagement which has been the kind of horrible status quo for 20 years um so the idea that sort of like the um israeli right wing and the um politics of hamas feed into each other i think is something netanyahu himself actually believes um that said I also think again on our power analysis map we have to point out like who are the ones who have the real power to change this situation like it is you know right now in Israel left-wing groups are being subjected subjected to civil rights repression are being told that they're you know um, are being afraid of losing jobs of losing positions of not being able to speak out against the government I mean I'll say that Israeli civil society is still generally much more critical of the Israeli government than much of US political uh, and civil society establishment like Haaretz. The Haaretz editorial board is so much more openly critical of Netanyahu than um, is than you can find almost anywhere in US public sphere. But that said, many leftists in Israel are afraid of their own government um, and are afraid of what their own government has been doing to hurt their movement and to push them out of right. the, you know, politics. And civil but society. my
0: question to you was about Palestinian excess and your answering in terms of Israeli excess. Why, why not, if you're a pro all around peace group, as as you purport to be, also demand that Hamas demilitarize Uh, Why not try to foster a joint Israel-Palestine peace movement and joint demonstrations in the streets of New York and elsewhere for a two-state solution or somehow justice and safety for everyone that says something like, uh, you know, I don't know, from the river to the sea, Israel and Palestine will be free, free of occupation and free of fear from attacks by either side, something like that.
1: I mean, I totally believe in the deep and fundamental importance of the Israeli and Palestinian left working together. And I think it is true that the like, it is hugely important to like, um, support and nurture shoots of both of those um, organizations. The reasons that those, you know, the possibility for those organizations have largely been throttled, though, is, I do think the behavior of the Israeli government, like, I think Yes, 100 percent, Hamas should not be killing civilians. Hamas should not be committing war crimes. That is against every solidaristic political value that we have. The Israeli government sets up a condition, for instance, a blockade of Gaza, you know, making Gaza into an open-air prison, that gives political legitimacy to Hamas. Um, It gives a reason to Palestinians to think this is our only hope, or maybe just there is no hope. And all I can do is like step outside of politics and wait till, you know, the bombs come two years from now. Like, I think the, you know, the, the good faith efforts to produce peace have to come always from the people with the most power first. And again, I see my government not, you know, supporting Hamas's um, war crimes, I see my government supporting Israel's war crimes and my government uh, writing a blank check to Israel's uh, suffocation of Gaza for the last 20 years. And uh, if I were a Palestinian, I would definitely not believe that there were any good faith actors in the Israeli government. And I would probably just be in despair, which I think is the situation of many Palestinians. Deep sense of injustice and a deep sense of despair. And One I should less, say, really Israeli
0: too. I mentioned that we'll have a different view from the American left on Monday with Alexis Grinnell from The Nation magazine, who wrote that where the rubber of anti Zionism meets the road of anti Semitism is the belief that Israel or a Jewish state should not exist. So is the DSA anti Zionist? Would you use that word?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, anti-imperialist is like the broad framing. Um, so say no to taking other people's lands, ruling over other people, anti-colonialist and seeing that the, um, from very early on, Herzl and others in um, the Zionist project, A, were okay with doing that to Palestinians. That was part of their stated intent and B and in alliance with Britain and other imperial powers and B had a sort of hypothesis that Zionism was the solution to anti-Semitism. Um, that
0: right, you, but in the context of today, I'm interrupting for time. In yeah, the sure. context of today, if you call yourself an anti-Zionist when the state of Israel exists, then are you not calling for there to be no Jewish state of Israel because you hedged on that before, or you said that's one possible solution?
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean. I'm an anti-nationalist generally. Like I don't have particular love for any sort of nation states or nationalism. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm like the United States shouldn't exist, though, you know, I'm I I think nationalism is kind of a dead end um, as a solution for our long term political issues. So I think like saying you're an anti-Zionist is about like, you know, say no to um, special rights or Israelis, say no to occupation, say no to apartheid. I think the actual particular political configurations that you end up with is beside the point a little bit to saying nationalism is not a solution to the ills of our world. We actually need justice. Um, And B, any situation that disenfranchises and oppresses and kills Palestinians is totally morally unacceptable.
0: Jeremy Cohen, co chair of the steering committee of the Democratic Socialists of America, New York City chapter. Thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. Um, we look forward to having you back in the presidential election campaign as we have many voices uh, from many points of view during that period. Thank you for coming on today.
1: Thank you, Brian. It's been an honor.